0: Welcome to a new episode of DevSecOps podcast. Today we go back to what happened with Infrastructure as Code over the last year. So Amazon just released a new API, Amazon Cloud Control API. And with that released, we think that Infrastructure as Code has a new way of uh, working, right? And uh, with the release, we also want to go back to a new release of the book Infrastructure Code, and go back to what is Infrastructure Code and how has it evolved during
1: uh, our last episode. Right. So about a year and a half ago, I believe that was the first episode of the podcast where we spoke about the Infrastructure Code, yeah, and what what it is and um, science. So, eighteen months, many things have happened. For instance, we got a second edition of infrastructure's code book released in yeah. December of 2020.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: And uh, it's almost 500 pages long. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but we. Actually, going to be quoting from that book today, yeah. and uh, the original book was released in June of 2016 and was about 360 pages. So, it's five years book, later, uh, it's uh, it's much bigger. <laughs> Plus, else, as Matthias mentioned, AWS Cloud Control API. Is a uh, uniform API access to cloud resources which solves the problem for uh for the two for infrastructure score well, tools such as for instance Terraform or Pulumi, yeah? Because uh, for instance, Google had um, all its APIs documented, it was possible to generate providers for Terraform from that specification. So yeah. when Google released the API. The Terraform would support it the same day because yeah. it will be a new release of the provider. The but same with
0: But what would, would it actually mean? I mean, we say uh, AWS Cloud Control API, but what you're saying is that now we have a standard way of calling resources in. Yes. Uh, yeah. And you can predict what's going to happen, you know, uh, by just using standard uh, CURD activities, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, if you ever worked with AWS CLI, for instance, yeah. you would notice that every resource family will have its own commands. Yes. So for instance, you would describe EC2 instances, you will list buckets, and yeah. uh, meaning or like expected output of command might be different. Yeah. So, for instance, if you would do list ECS tasks, for ECS families, then uh, you will just get a list of arms of the tasks, and that will be basically it. If you list instances, you're getting a quite big JSON with a a lot of details about the instances. And there were discrepancies between uh, different resources. Thus, open-source community would have to work on uh, AWS Terraform provider to update it and make sure that they call the APIs right, and yeah. it was taking time to support resources as they released. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Pulumi was uh, basically using the same uh, Terraform provider for a long time under the <laughs> yes. hood, And uh, now, when uh, Amazon released uh, the Cloud Controller API, almost At the same time, Terraform and Pulumi both released the new providers that support the cloud control API. And this cloud control API, you you will get the support of newly released resources pretty much the same day. Yes. Science will be a uniform API access to those resources.
0: Yes. So this is really good. It's making the the, the tools we use, like Terraform and make more uh, reliable and like you don't have to wait for them to uh, add that layer between uh, AWS and, and the tools.
1: Yeah, exactly. Google sure. was doing the, the same type of thing yeah, all along. Yeah. I'm not sure how it's done in Azure. Uh, no clue either here. No, no, yeah. No, insight, no Yeah. So, today we are yeah. talking infrastructure as code. What yes. it is and
0: uh, Why we should be doing that off. Exactly. So what is it? If you you have to describe it in a short sentence here.
1: Well, we're going to be leaning on the book, as I said. Um, (laughs) That's good. We will not try to come up with our own, but uh, we will try to deconstruct the definition given in the book, which is infrastructure as code is an approach to infrastructure automation based on practices from software development, it emphasizes consistent, repeatable routines for provisioning and changing systems and their configuration. You make changes to code, then use automation to test and apply those changes to your systems. Yes, this is so. Pretty much the same as with the software, right? You write yeah. software, you test it, you release it. It's the same here. You you write an uh, infrastructure spec. And then you use a certain tool to apply that and test it.
0: Yeah. And, and you uh, usually run it against a cloud provider. So you run your code and say, okay, create these resources in, in the cloud. I, mean, and I then think you cloud get
1: provider is a most prominent example, but exactly. yeah. it's not necessarily the cloud provider. So here you would need to have a system that gives you an API to manage it. Yeah. Right? So you could use that on VMware installation on-premise because VMware provides you control API to create new virtual machines yeah. and shut them down in the same way as you would use in a public cloud. And there are providers for Terraform. I mean, if you open the Terraform provider and list it, today pretty much covers what yeah. you can think of.
0: Yeah, and you, you can also PX boot a server, then gets installed, and then when it's uh, starting up, you have your IP, and then you can run your infrastructure with code against that server. So you can even provision bare metal
1: on prem, right? If so you like. here, you know I mean? here you have uh, you have to be clear because we are getting into gray area. Yeah. So <laughs> before the public cloud age and the uh, cloud APIs. What we had, we had expe- exactly as you said, the servers, yeah. and we needed to control, so, configure those servers somehow, and we've been doing that with uh, configuration management tools such as Puppet, Ansible, Chef, SaltStack, and many others. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So those uh, those tools, they're not calling APIs as such. They the well some of them has programming capabilities built in, so like for instance, yeah. Chef Written and Ruby, and you could write more functions in it if you want to. The same is Ansible, you could extend it with a, with a Python code and then code extension that would call APIs, but in a nutshell those tools would either SSH to your servers and then run commands described yeah. as code. In some kind of specification, yeah. or you would have a server and then agents running on servers calling to the server and getting commands to execute. but yeah. in the in the nutshell it's the same thing, right? So we're using some kind of automation to run commands on remote servers, yeah. and uh, which is configuration, which is management of infrastructure. But it's uh, it, it was what we've been used to doing, since we didn't have a better opportunities to do things. Right. Like we with our own prep, we didn't have ability to spin up virtual right. machines very easily, as we do, no. to, as we have those opportunities today. And public cloud made a revolution in this, yes. giving that's us those IPIs and then the, on-prem providers of virtualization solutions. They yeah. Pretty and much they look all, the same.
0: Yeah, and they also give us uh, endpoints to servers, databases, AMI, yeah. Uh, yeah. buckets. I mean, so many things now, so you can describe your whole infrastructure and just uh, as one
1: code base, more or less. And with a tool of like Bulubi, you're kind of starting to... Have something in between where your code might might actually be part of your infrastructure because you're using the programming language. Just uh, all your infrastructure be part of your product code, since You are are using the programming language to describe it. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, If it's stored in in a source code repository and uh, you use automation to apply stuff like you would do with uh, software development you're probably doing the infrastructure's code. Yeah.
0: So, but there are some core practices for infrastructure's code, right? Before before practice, let's get into the benefits. Ah, the Uh, benefits. Yeah, of course, the benefits.
1: And and here we're going to just go through the list, outlined in the book, and see if we have something more to add. So we uh, use. What it says is using IT infrastructure as enabler for rapid delivery of value, and by this it means that before you would have to wait for IT, right?
0: Yeah, but exactly. Now
1: you could uh, give de- developers the opportunity to pretty much do self-service with infrastructure and get all they need to build and experiment uh, valuable features for the f- yeah. for the business. That we have reducing the effort and the risk of making changes to infrastructure. That's a big one.
0: Yeah, it is Besides, really uh, big. Um, uh, I, I think, think that's probably yeah, the biggest. Yeah, I mean, security wise, uh, uh, uptime wise, I think a lot of the problems we see is that uh, you have done some, someone has done some changes on production servers. It shouldn't be there. It's been left there. And uh, moving away from that and running all the changes with the infrastructure code, you get rid of all that cowboying in production, that as we call it, right? In the first a, edition of yeah. the
1: book, after who is key, Keith Morris, mentions the, the notion of Snowflake Server, and that's a server configured by hand, and that the yeah. people keep you know SSH to the server, doing changes, and yeah. in the end, you have a unique server. No one knows how he came about to be like this. Since there were like multiple people changing that at the same time, yeah. there are some files you don't really know if they're in use or not, <laughs> and you are really, really afraid of changing that server. Oh uh, yeah, that could cause all possible kind of troubles in production when it comes to the change management. You want to release yeah. new, new features that require change changes of that server. And now the predictability of the change is becoming much much less. So you oh. might get yourself in a trouble uh, just by changing something that you thought would not influence anything, but apparently just broke the whole thing. Yeah. And now, since you don't really know how you got uh, that server configured, now you are in a big trouble unless you have a snapshot. So yeah. And uh, since you have the history through the code, right? So as your infrastructure evolves, you could trace back and see how, the, how it was changed, why it was changed, reading the comment messages. So you get those pieces of knowledge built into the specification. You yeah. could trace through the history. You could see the people who changed what, and then ask them if they're still around. Yeah. And uh, also, you could do code reviews, right? You could discuss with the team, what you're changing and then applying that. And you could also quite often do reconciliation. And for it's like in, in the terms of Terraform, you would do plan and see that your specification, yeah. how your specification matches to what you actually got in the cloud or other resources available to you. And then you could see the difference, and that will be your configuration drift. If you haven't changed a specification, but there is a difference. Then it means that someone changed something manually, you support yeah. the configuration drift, and now you could actually bring it back to the specification as you want it to, to be. Yeah, so that's very powerful, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's to keeping your system up to date and only having control changes on, on, on the production environment. Is I, I can't uh, tell you yeah. enough how good it is or like how. how and yeah, your you life without to... it is
1: pretty miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Then we <laughs> yes. have enabling users of infrastructure to get the resources they need when they need it. Oh, I and you like kind this. of mentioned yeah. that Yeah, I, we discuss the first point.
0: But what I like the most about it is, is like when I have a platform, the platform is not blocking developers. If a developer needs a new database, I can say, well it's in code and you're a developer, you know code, right? You can add the specification in the repo. Yeah. If it builds, if it goes out to the test and the tests are fine, go out to production. You don't need me to, to block or like, uh, have some check. I mean, if, if, if you, if you run it, test are fine, then you go, I'm not blocking you here. I'm, I'm setting up the pipeline of change mm. for infrastructure but the change is up to you as a developer or product manager or whatever to do the change. It doesn't have to be me. And that I think it's a really good way of working, because then you're not blocking developers from getting any resources.
1: Right. You're basically building the ways for them to get those resources. But when they need <laughs> to get resources, when they don't, they can discard it on their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course
0: sometimes. Right can be there helping how you should pick things, but mm. I, I'm, I don't have to. You know? They can do it on their own and that's perfectly fine. And yeah. Then I'm not blocking anybody for for, for doing any work. And I, this is one of the big benefits I have uh, for my team as infrastructure as code, I think.
1: Exactly. And now like a lot of big companies they uh, are focused on building. Uh, a platform team, something that would provide a platform for developers to get those self-service capabilities. And actually the book speaks quite a lot about those platform teams yeah. and the platforms that wasn't in the first edition. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, a new notion. Yeah. Then uh, the next uh, benefit outlined in the book is providing common tooling across development operations and other stakeholders. So um. Yes, and we had the do- <laughs> we had the Docker that uh, has yeah. promise, right? So you you use the same tool to build, ship, and run software, yeah. no matter where you do it. And technically, uh, Docker is some kind of infrastructure as code, or like partly. At least you mm-hmm. describe. Well, no, I wouldn't call the Docker as infrastructure as code because oh, it's yeah. basically a, a packaging format yeah right It's uh this is how you package your application with its dependencies and describe its runtime requirements. yeah so this is a packaging format this uh RPM 2.0 if you like <laughs> yeah true uh, mm-hmm. but well, uh, there is also a lot of debate in here so I, I know a lot of developers who, saying they don't like to learn Terraform DSL and they mm. find it's terrible and hard. On the other hand, you have Pulumi offering them to describe infrastructure with uh, with a code.
0: Yeah. And
1: technically, if you're still using Terraform providers and Pulumi, Pretty much writing the same uh, Terraform specification, but in a programming language.
0: Exactly. And
1: it's not the TSL itself. I mean, like I I, just this year I worked with two persons coming from the development background, mostly focused on JavaScript, and both of them learning Terraform and AWS. And they were saying, "Like, how you do it?" Like after two weeks, we're just suffering. It's painful, hard. we are lost completely, but I think what they were struggling with wasn't really a DSL. They figured DSL very quickly, yeah. but that was under understanding of AWS and all the quirks and the things you need to know in AWS yeah. to configure it efficiently. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I don't really see developers jumping on opportunity to define infrastructure, and when they do. Uh, results um, would be not as good, let's say this way, as if it would be done by the person who is focused on uh, building infrastructure solutions.
0: Yeah, true. I mean, if you uh, you have to work with Amazon or other cloud providers to understand everything that's going on, like network and things, and when you know that, it's easier, of course, to provision uh, services in those Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you pointer. need to
1: understand, not necessarily so, Amazon, right? You need to understand no. your execution variable, uh, exactly. environment. Yeah. Where Where yeah. your code is going to be run. Is it like yeah. Amazon containers? I mean, is it containers of Amazon? Is it, or is it uh, yeah. OpenShift on a prem? You still need yeah. to understand the c- contextual details to understand how traffic gets to your application, how it's being yeah. routed, yeah. through what checkpoints it goes, and yeah. stuff like that. And... In many ways, it's not a developer's concern. Or there are developers who know that, but you would be talking about seniors, right? So those are senior developers, maybe like even CTO-level type of guys who understand the big picture, but uh, requiring that from junior or maybe like mid-level developers and probably asking for too much. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah but i mean when we're going down to like kubernetes setup then you need to when you're describing your manifest then you also need to learn a little bit how your application behaves and i think like the devops ways that the developer needs to know more about how the application is running production because that will uh, impact how we should build your application
1: yeah, Then uh, we're talking yeah. about taking end-to-end yeah. <laughs> responsibility, right? You build yeah. it, you run it. Well, not necessarily build, you run it, but you're involved yeah. into running it in running the production. And the big yeah. organizations, there was always a struggle with security, yeah. right? Security, and You're not doing production. Yeah. So you're basically sending your stuff to some black hole and it being executed there somehow. Yeah. Docker made it much easier because you have a packaging format used by the by operations, right? Yeah. The same as developers, so you can package, you can control what's inside the package, yeah. and you can run it in a similar way locally, how it would be run in a production. But uh, yeah. before that, we would have a conversation. Developers would say, so This is my nice Python code, and you need to install those <laughs> libraries. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. we already have the same libraries but different versions yeah. on that server. How do we go about resolving that conflict? Docker yeah. solved all, all of that. Yeah. Which is great. But, uh, but it, it was I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: but, that's a, this, yeah.
0: but if you jump down to, to the next point to the benefits, then you have it. Create systems that are reliable, secure, and cost effective And yeah. I think that's I what, would what, add, what, repeatable. Repeatable yeah. here
1: is super yeah. important. Yeah.
0: So I mean you you get that that uh, they're rel- reliable because nobody's it's like fiddling around with them, right? You know what you deploy, that's what you're running. In the same uh, apply for secure, I mean if Nobody's yeah. touching, and like if you don't go in and work with them, change things, and just this is what I can deploy, and you keep that uh, to what you have deployed, and then you can keep your security as well. A lot of security is that you lock it down, and then you need to do something, and then you change something, open a port, or whatever. Yeah. and that's
1: yeah. where security fails. Uh, you but, could also, you don't have to like get into production to see what's there, you can see in the code. Oh, yes. Yeah. Has- Code yeah. pretty much describes what should be there, and it's ninety nine percent accurate. There is yeah. always a little bit of configuration drift. Yeah. Well, also cost efficient is a big here, right? Since uh, since we could recreate the systems, yes, we also know what we can delete, so we could just do the purges and like delete stuff, recreate yeah. it. Obviously, it's harder to do in production. You have availability requirements, but. It really helps you to control your cost down. So, like you could even like, yeah, tag your resources that are created using infrastructure as code approach with with a special tag, and then everything that's not created this way, you can just delete. Yeah, because yeah. it was configured by hands, and it shouldn't be this way. Yeah, and it gives you a opportunity to do a lot of cost saving. Yeah. So, for sure, it's a yeah. it's an important point there. I and mean, exactly as we said, yeah. Well, like the next one, make governance, yeah. security, and compliance control. Visible. It ki- kind of goes hand in hand, right? Yeah. So, you often would have a compliance control, like you have to have a disaster recovery site, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, easy the to do with infrastructure is yeah. code,
0: super simple. And, and when you want to check your security and compliance, you can show them the code base and this is what we run. And they will ask, Is this what's okay. running in production? Yeah, here's the telephone. Uh, plan, you can see it's in sync, right? It's no drifter. That means that you can also prove exactly what this is a, that I want to run, and this is actually what it's running now. I can prove that they're in sync. And that, yeah, that is, brings us yeah.
1: to the next point improving the speeds to troubleshoot and resolve. Yeah, failures. that's exactly how yeah. you described. Yeah, you, can, you, you check the first thing you do is you see if, you check configuration drift and yeah. see yeah. if there are any changes done by whoever did it. And if there are, then there is a very, very good chance that this is the source of the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you are, if you made sure there is no configuration drift, yeah, then you might have to dig. But I would say majority of the problems would be resolved by checking configuration drift, seeing what drifted, bringing it back to the how it should be. And yeah. systems like Kubernetes, they do it for you, right? So, so you just. Yeah tell kubernetes that's my specification i want it to be like this and if someone goes and deletes something then (laughs) kubernetes will try to bring it back yeah yeah
0: and i will say that it's also nice because when you have problems and if you fix them with infrastructure as code then you protect yourself that this will not happen again hopefully right So, I mean, if you detect a problem with the configuration or something, okay, this is a problem. Instead of just fixing it for that server as we did in the old days, and then, oh, that's nice, it's working now, but then go have a beer. We now add the changes or the fix to the code, we deploy it out, and we know that, okay, we're solid again. If something happens, we know that we have the fix already checked in and can apply it to all servers. Yeah. So that, that was the benefits, right? Do you see any more benefits that's not in this list from the book?
1: No. Well, I think we covered it, right, mostly. Yeah. So there are also practices listed in the introduction. So everything that we're covering is pretty much first chapter. And yep. there is much more in the books, and I urge you to go and read it. And uh, after yes. outlines the practices, which are three. Yeah, and it's it's as define everything as code. Surprise, yeah. surprise! Continuous <laughs> test and deliver all work in progress. Yeah, technically do con- some kind of continuous integration, continuous delivery, yeah. which you would do with the code. Exactly. Build small, simple pieces that you can change independently. Yeah. Microservices, right? <laughs> yeah, this is like in yeah. a that in a in a development world that would be microservices yeah. in a in a infrastructure's code. We would have models, yeah. right? So for it's like a, a Terraform, you can build a model that would be like libraries yeah. that you could uh, change independently, don't have to change the whole thing. Yeah. And also, like when working with Terraform, for instance, you have a meaning of state, and state ju- just contains a state of all resources described by yeah. this particular specification. And when it grows to hundred resources, it's becoming quite. small quite slow to check the drift, right? Just yeah, to go yeah, yeah. and pull all the resources to see how they're feeling. Mm. And yeah. that's why it makes sense to split your infrastructure description from one big humongous Terraform specification to smaller pieces and apply them separately. You might yeah. have like IAM and security as one state, networking as another, I know, databases oh. as so um, DNS as four. And then only the people with uh, access that should have access to those, they can go and change those. one minute. and the rest of the organization can just consume resources provided through those pieces, or like maybe reuse and look up them.
0: Yeah, and then you can give different modules to different people. Okay, you want to change your DNS? Here's the module. You're free free to go with that one. Yeah, but this is just taking the the infrastructure and treat it as code for real, right? Everything should be in code. You should Uh, test and deliver everything. And don't build this big thing that, as you said, like set up your whole cloud provider. Build it
1: small. uh, I would would, uh, double down on, you know, continuously apply what you build. Yeah. Because if you sit on that, if the change set growing too much, then... You're building uh, probability of things going wrong because the smaller yeah. change, the less a thing can go wrong, right? Yeah. And the, better, the, the faster you can understand what yeah. was the cause of things going wrong. Yeah. If you have a lot of things that needs to change at the same time, bad idea. Yeah. This is how people <laughs> did uh, management uh, change management in uh, in nineties. Yeah, they would collect. Uh, a huge amount of tickets for things that needs to be changed and then they go yeah. and change all at once during the weekend yeah. <laughs> and spend the months trying to figure out what they broke. Bad, yeah, yeah. bad, bad. I, bad. I have do
0: that. never done that <coughs> in my life. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah but and, it's, uh, it's, this is also really, really hard because the problem is like, uh, you're into server, it's set up infrastructure as code, everything is provisioned, it's really nice, and then it's this, god damn it, uh, you need to add one new line, right? You're in the server, you can do it, now it's working, but you need them to be, uh, treat everything as code and like, okay, this is a problem, I need to go back, fix it properly in the code and then deploy it. So, so, it's also important to have that so, it won't take a lot of time uh, to fix these small things. Because if you if you jump out of it, then you'll be in trouble again. Then you just building a drift between your infrastructure's code and, and your proud environment. And when you start drifting, you're in trouble.
1: Right. And the last thing that we should be highlighting from the first chapter of the book, I yeah. go and read the book because the book is good, I assume. Yeah. I haven't finished it all, but. <laughs> What I read so far, I I like. And uh, there are the four key metrics. And uh, by then, they mean the four key metrics uh, that are mentioned by the DORA, Accelerate Research. And DORA is... Oh, what it stands for? (laughs) was DevOps... Yeah, it was DevOps Research and Assessment.
0: Yeah. Didn't they do, like, the DevOps... uh book or like yeah. yeah there is
1: an accelerate book and initially they were, were doing like DevOps reports. Yeah and, the DevOps uh,
0: reports man that was a big thing. Yeah yeah they they the, they, right. they
1: were independent organization at the yeah. beginning but then they got bought by Google Cloud.
0: So
1: it's um, okay. a Google Cloud <laughs> owned old organization doing the research so they yeah. when you when you read what they write yeah. you have to know that because it might be something that you need to take with grain of salt but still yeah. they yeah. Um, they outline uh four key metrics that they see that those metrics will define the performance of organizations yes and that's the delivery lead time the lapse time it takes to implement test and deliver change to the production system yeah and okay. infrastructures hold helps you a lot with this metric right science yeah you have developers who could self-service them with the resources they need yeah. and then when they bring it to production it's already described as code so it's very easy to deploy and also crap if not needed then deployment frequency right so you science again it's described as code it's possible to apply automatically you don't have to wait till the weekend or change window or what have you <laughs> The change could be applied continuously. Again, yeah. that helps your organization to win. Yeah. Then you have change fail percentage. What percentage of changes is a cause or impaired service or an immediate correction, such as rollback or emergency fix? So yeah. again, you know, sitting on a pile of tickets that needs to be applied, this is a sure way to disaster. Yeah, Applying one change by one. Like with a, with a code, right? So if you deliver one change to your product and it fails your function test, you yeah. know what the broke function test. You don't <laughs> need to create a trouble report and send it to developers to figure out who broke it, Comparing to you sit on the code for mm-hmm. a month, accumulate a lot of changes, and yeah. then you run your functional regression test. No one knows who broke what, so you actually yeah. need to have uh, issue triage team to go through and try to understand who log what and who should be fixing it. But yeah, when you have yeah. one change, you just revert it. Yeah. And if that change wasn't deletion of the production database, you 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 will have quite quite easy way of recovering. And that's actually the next key metric they mentioned at mean time to restore. Yeah. How long it takes to restore service when there is an unplanned outage or impairment. Again, as we discussed that, you know, Checking the configuration drift, running the Terraform plan, I think Pulumi plan, they also yeah. use that word there. And uh, checking I, I believe even cloud formation nowadays can detect drift. Checking the drift.
0: Yeah. But this will also help going, you a lot. Yeah, this also goes into like you need a quick pipeline, right? If you have a solid quick pipeline you can deliver not only your application, but also infrastructure uh, rapidly. If, if you need exactly new, S, it, every bucket, you get it right now. If you need yeah. two new servers, you get them as well, as quick as you deploy,
1: deploy application. But this is not the pipeline, right? That's the IPI that allows you to get yeah. them. Yeah. So yeah. When it That's comes fun. to pipeline, I, I, I would agree that... Uh, yeah, continuous delivery quite often goes hand in hand with infrastructure as quote. So yeah. Before, you know, before I switched my focus to doing more infrastructure, before that I was doing like continuous integration, continuous delivery for six years, like looking yeah. like, you know, being continuous delivery expert. And in many cases, we had to do something with infrastructure to enable continuous integration, continuous delivery. So yeah. you know, we could create repeatable test environments. Yeah. We could have a, a very little difference between Dev and prod and stage, right? And things like so that, they, they required some kind of involvement of IT and ideally to have ability to do self-service, to provision resources on the fly, to run tests, because your your automated test will require resources to run yeah. and uh, yeah. doing the builds. So I basically went just down on the same thing. So quite often when consulting, I still do continuous integration, continuous delivery, but that is done after we did infrastructure as code. So we first do infrastructure as code. And exactly. then on top yeah. of that, it's very easy to apply continuous yeah. integration, continuous delivery, and also do that for infrastructure as well, not only for the code. Yeah.
0: And I'll say that when you do proper infrastructure code, you will also go into more immutable infrastructure. And that could be another topic, but that yes. also helps you when you start uh, deploying and, and, and having more uh, quicker release cycles and, and fallback and stuff. So they kind of all go hand in hand, right? But uh, infrastructure as code is like th- the first puzzle in, in this Right. And
1: yeah, it's... yeah, and uh, since we're starting to mention additional topics like um, immutable infrastructure, it might be a good sign that it's time to wrap up. And we are <laughs> running for, uh, for almost forty minutes now. It sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, so thank people, you for people, hold on, people who, <laughs> who listen listen this. If you if you'd like to hear uh, more breakdown of the books because i think that actually might be something we could do to sure. break down the books and maybe white papers for you. let let us know if this is type of the content what you'd like to see to hear yeah. or if you if you more prefer us rambling on different topics <laughs> it's well so well <laughs> and nice we could sure do that yeah. or if you would like to see some of some of previous guests to come back or some or you think of someone who might be a good appearance for the show, again, let us know as a LinkedIn or Twitter or yeah. DevSecOps FM. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, it's good, right?
0: Yes. Okay. And with that, then, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes. And of course, notes and links will be at devsecops.fm.
1: You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias André and Julian. For more podcast and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.